Um, well, thank you, Donnie, for leading yes. worship without your other half. That was awesome. And, and all those songs were already speaking to my heart. Sometimes I just feel so unworthy to stand, to even worship. And I just praise the Lord that um, it's not based off of my worthiness or my feelings, that our God is a God who is worthy of praise no matter what, right? So let's just begin. Father, um, we just avail ourselves to you. We ask for open ears, open hearts, um, and that as you continue to bring us along in this journey, that uh, we would just see that our eyes would be open to your word. In Jesus' name. So as we've been <clears throat> discussing, we're in a kingdom series. We took a pause on Revelation um, because I, I, we just didn't think that we were going to be able to understand it in any new way, anyway, if, if we still have all the same ideas. Um, so last week we discovered what the gospel being preached um, by John the baptizer, Jesus, the disciples, was called the good news of the kingdom. We also understood that this wasn't a new term, but an awaited event that was prophesied. Isaiah speaks of the good news as well, and as he prophesied of the messianic kingdom. We approached the topic that the good news of the kingdom didn't include the knowledge of the disciples preaching that there was a death and a resurrection. And I gave scriptural proof. Instead, it was repent, the kingdom is near you. It was a message that was understood by the disciples that Jesus was indeed the king, the Messiah, of his, uh, the Messiah and the king of the kingdom. We saw even no rebuke even after the resurrection at his ascension when the disciples were asking Jesus again about the full restoration of the kingdom. He didn't correct their understanding. He just said, it's just not time for you to know. So what kingdom are they preaching? And we saw that it was um, traditions of, of, and doctrines that have either been formed steeped in replacement theology or simply lost meaning because of the intentional divorce of all things Jewish. Um, that has saturated the Christian church over time. This kingdom of heaven, as we learned, is not simply a place in the sky. Uh, Rather, it's a place in time. And we have the kingdom now, but we are also awaiting its final fulfillment in the messianic age during the physical and literal reign of Jesus on this earth. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. Those words are interchangeable. The phrase is, So I don't know if you guys remember um, several months back when I was teaching, I I taught um, specifically on a verse in in Matthew. um, It has caused quite a bit of confusion in the church. And I've always taken an approach that is contrary to, um, I would say, I've never heard it preached like that in a church I've ever attended. So that can sometimes cause problems. (laughs) It can be controversial. And that is Matthew 7.21. Through 23, I'll just read that real fast. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness, which means <clears throat> Torahlessness, basically. Um, yeah, that's why it was, it was nice to see that reminder of that whenever in our group, I was like, hey, I didn't get it off. I was preaching it correctly, at least to, to this, according to this study. Um, so 
I labored the point at that time that this, uh, and through biblical reasoning, and other verses, and in the original language, um, that this was not a salvation issue. This verse isn't talking about going to heaven or hell, but rather it's a passage about our inheritance, our reward. I showed through passages that um, it is calling Jesus our Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, there's a qualifier to that, a qualifier of obedience attached to it. Um, It cannot be understood through westernized Christian doctrines of the kingdom. This is why there's such a divide on that verse. When you ask most pastors and churches and everything, that either becomes a salvation issue or what they'll say is, well, only God knows. Maybe they weren't really saved then. But the word of God also tells us that you can't call Jesus Lord except for by the Spirit. So if they're calling him Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do all these things in your name? These people, it would appear, are, are indeed saved. So what do we do with it? And that's why we have to have this understanding that it's not a salvation issue. This isn't talking about that because then if it is, your salvation is based on your works. And we know that to not be true. So, um, like I said, it causes a great problem to read it as a salvation issue. It becomes a work-based salvation, negating the very gift of salvation through faith. This is just one example in the series. We'll go through many examples to see our need to read and interpret the scriptures through their original context. So I'm purposely doing a little review as I think that many times we need to hear a concept over and over again, as we are learning, it's, it's layered. Um, and as Isaiah said, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Perhaps, maybe the last time I preached it, it was only one thing that was caught, in that that caught your attention. And God does it, you know, allows, he's, this message is going to speak to you all differently. It can speak to you all differently. Even if there's a main message, there might be one thing that you draw out of it, or you draw out of it, that really speaks to your heart. Um, so it's worth saying some of these things again, reviewing, um, to chew on, to meditate. So the wealth of his word is deep and it deserves to be meditated on. We need to sometimes hear something several times or in several ways before it begins to take root. And we don't just water seeds one time and leave it. So I pray that the seeds that have been planted will be watered today. And of course, uh, that growth is up to the Lord. So... What does this kingdom we are commissioned to spread the good news of look like? When will it happen? Who occupies it? Where is it at? These are all questions I pray the spirit of truth will bring um, revelation to us as we're going through these things. But we can't possibly do that in just one sermon. So, as we know, the disciples, um, John the Baptist, nor did Jesus have a canonized book called the New Testament when they were preaching. The New Testament did not exist when they were preaching the good news of the gospel gospel news. So where did these who taught the good news of the kingdom get their understanding from? As we saw last week, it was from the prophets and the writings that they had been taught their entire lives going to synagogue and going in, in the temple. This was the time they were especially looking for the kingdom fulfillment and the Messiah to come as they were under such heavy persecution Um, and the rule of the Romans. So what was their idea of the kingdom? What did they think that they were preaching? We must then look into what their base of their understanding of it was. So today we're going to be all over in Isaiah with pulling out different things, and there's a lot of reading, very heavy scripture today. 
Um, and I have people helping me out with the reading, but for recording purposes, when it's your turn to read, please read loudly so that we can make sure that the recording is here. Um, so uh, Isaiah spoke a lot about the Messianic kingdom. And this is going to start to begin to answer our where, what, when, and why questions that we have about what this kingdom is. Um, but he is speaking of the millennial, the messianic age. So the first one I have is in Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's house will stand firm as the head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills. So all nations will flow to it. Then many people will go and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and decide for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. So what I like to do when I'm studying the word of God is ask myself, is this been fulfilled? Have I hyper-spiritualized something? So in this passage, I would say that, you know, when you look online, if you're Googling something, if you're trying to study it out, you're going to see that most theologians agree that this is talking about the messianic reign um, because it has not yet been fulfilled. Micah, the prophet, also says this exact same thing, and there's a, a kind of a scholastic debate among people saying, well, who said, who's quoting who? Is Micah quoting Isaiah or is Isaiah quoting Micah? And really, for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. I have a tendency to decide that it was Isaiah since um, this, the verse before it says uh, <clears throat> that the word which Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So, but like I said, for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. Both were prophets. Both were being moved by the Spirit of God to speak this exact same word. All right, Isaiah 9, 1 through 6. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. Upon those dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, light will shine. You will multiply to the nation. You will increase the joy. They will rejoice before you like the joy in the harvest as they revel when they divide spoil. For you will break the burdensome yoke and the rod on his shoulder, the war club of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every stomping boot quaking and cloak rolled in blood will be burning fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, a son will be given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, my Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and shalom there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and uphold it through the justice and righteousness from now until forevermore. The zeal of Adonai Zavot will accomplish this. Again, has this been fully fulfilled yet? Do we see um, Jesus sitting on the throne of, of David over the kingdom in, in that way, the, the physical, where there is total peace? No, if anything, there is nothing but absolute unpeace, unrest right now. Um, all right, now our main passage today, and I need help with this, is Isaiah chapter 11. <clears throat> um, so if you want to get your, and you can read along with all the different versions I like, I'm using the Tree of Life version today. 
starting at verse 1. Then a shoot will come forth out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch will bear fruit out of its roots. Jackie? Mm-hmm. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay. And then Revelation 5.5. 5. Okay, so as we can see in Matthew and Revelation, these are cross-references to this verse of Isaiah. We don't, they're not just grabbing and just making up. These aren't new concepts is what I'm trying to labor today. Is it that what the disciples, what Jesus, what uh, John the baptizer, the apostles were preaching was based straight out of what they understood of the prophets and their writings. All right, verse 2, the Ruach, that's the spirit of Adonai, will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and insight, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Adonai. Uh, Christina, Matthew three sixteen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. So we see, again, he has the spirit of wisdom and insight, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. Uh, Verse 3, his delight will be in the fear of Adonai. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the poor of the land. He will strike the land with the rod of his mouth. Mason, Revelation 19, 11 and verse 15. I saw heaven's head open, there in front of the white horse. Its rider, its rider is called Faithful and True. When the judges all make war, he is always fair. And out of the rider's mouth comes a sharp sword. He will strike down the nations with it. Scripture says he will rule them with an iron rod. He stomps on the grapes of God's winepress. The winepress stands for the terrible anger of God who rules over all. Okay, so this rod out of his mouth or the sword out of his mouth, sometimes we just lose the idea of what these things are. But if we go back to where they're, the picture of these things are, we have a, a better understanding. Um, and with his breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness the belt around his waist. Uh, his waist. Now, <clears throat> that's speaking, all of that was prophesying what Jesus was going to do and look like. We see that fulfillment. This next portion is, is the messianic, it's speaking about the messianic age of peace. Uh, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play by a cobra's hole, and a wean child will put his hand in a viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy, destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge of Adonai as the waters cover the sea. It will also come about in that day that the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Tristan, John twelve thirty two and Romans fifteen twelve. And I, if I am lifted from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And again, Isaiah says, 
There shall be a root of Jesse, and who shall rise over reign for the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Okay, so we're seeing in this messianic age that it's not just the, the people of Israel, but God is making it very clear. All nations will, will come up. Um, the nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. Ta- uh, Tanya? Luke 2.32? A light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. And then Acts 11.18. When they heard this, they became quiet, and they glorified God, saying, Then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance leading to life. Amen. Uh, Verse 11. It will also come about in that day that the Lord will again redeem a second time with his hand, the remnant of his people who remains. Um, oh, I didn't have anybody from Romans 11.5. If somebody could grab that for me. Okay. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Good. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will lift up a banner for the nations and assemble the dispersed of Israel and gather the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Tommy, Matthew 24, 30, and 31. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. I just want to point out here that this verse, oftentimes, how do we hear it? The context we hear this is speaking of a rapture, as we have already discussed. But if you take it back to the actual context of it, from Isaiah, where he's saying he's going to gather the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth, we have to understand it in that context. What was the verse that you uh, Matthew 24, 30, and 31. Um, verse 13, Ephraim's envy will end. The, those hostile to Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will swoop down on the Philistine slope to the west. Together they will plunder the children of the east, laying their hand on Edom and Moab, the children of Ammon, obeying them. Then Adonai will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. He will wave his hand over the river with scorching wind, and it will strike into the seven streams and let man walk over in sandals. So there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who remain from Assyria as there was for Israel in the day they came up out of the land of Egypt. So in the new, uh, these references I gave that all you guys read as I was reading out of Isaiah, you read all out of the New Testament. And to show you where these statements, this is where I'm trying to show you guys where these statements were coming from. What they were preaching, what didn't have no base to it, wasn't brand new. They were speaking straight out of the prophecies of what they've understood. Um, Like I said, they're not standalone scriptures to be interpreted apart from the prophet's writings. Isaiah 32, 1 says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. The result of righteousness will be shalom, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. 
My people will live in a peaceful place, in secure dwellings, and quiet resting places. Again, the qualifying statement, is this yet fulfilled? No. Isaiah 35, 8, a highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. It is for those who walk the way. Fools will not go astray. Isaiah 41 through 2, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, for she has received from Adonai's hand double for all of her sins. And then Isaiah 56, 7 through 8. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to Adonai to minister to him and to love the name of Adonai and to be his servants. All who keep from profaning Shabbat and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, Seven and eight. Adonai, Adonai Elohim, who gathers the dispersed of Israel, declares, I will gather still others to him, to those already gathered. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in, the, in those Gospels, we, we've heard this, right? We've heard this uh, in verse 7, says, For my house will be called a, a house of prayer for all nations. Who, who said that? <laughs> Jesus said that. Um. I'll just show you one, and there's the other references to them, but in Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13, says, this is when um, he entered the temple, and he drove out those that were selling and, and buying. He said, then Yeshua entered the temple and drove out all those selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of thieves. Right there he's quoting not just from Isaiah, but also from Jeremiah. Of when Jeremiah talks to them and, and, and is process, uh, saying about being a den of thieves. He's taking these things straight from the prophets. He knows what it is that he's saying. He's not confused on it. And if you read the whole thing as we just did in context, this is a future messianic age that he's saying, and he's saying, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And we've read in this that what, what is this starting to look like? We're starting, hopefully, to get a, a little bit of a clearer picture. There is going to be a time where God's peace rules and reigns. That in this, we don't have the exact details of what that's going to look like. You know, we know that there's a thousand-year millennial reign that Satan will be shut up. Um, and not be able to just go out and deceive the nations and everything. But this isn't heaven. This is happening. Because there's, there's the opportunity, as we see, for Gentiles to come up and to observe the commands and be taught the Torah of God in this time. We know from other scriptures that we'll get more into that there seems to be some sort of qualifying factors that go into um, an honoring uh, a system that, as Jesus said, that if you teach them to, you know, uh, get rid of any of the least, of the, break the least of these commandments, you'll be least in the kingdom. It's not talking about heaven. These, the way we live our life right now, what God is beginning to start to show us, 
Um, I think that, like I've said before, we're in this move where we're beginning to understand that it's not just here at this congregation. It's being echoed all throughout um, with people asking is at work, coming up randomly and asking him about Torah. You know, give, do you have any resources? Do you have any? Because this is the way the Spirit moves. I have a friend that we went to uh, church with that was asking and, and, and making note. Like, what is, you know, God is putting this on a lot of people's heart right now. And so I think that it's important that as we are uh, going through this, we're, to understand we're going to kind of flounder a little bit in it. That's a fine. We're, we're, we're learning. Um, I had one. Uh, Isaiah 61, 7. In verse 10, instead of your shame, double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will sing for joy. Therefore, in, that, in their land, they will inherit a double portion. They will have everlasting joy. I will rejoice greatly in Adonai. My soul will be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom wearing a priestly turban, like a bride adorning herself with jewels. Isaiah 65, 16 says, So he who says abraka, that's a blessing, in the land will be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the land will swear by the God of truth. For the former troubles are forgotten because they are hidden from my sight. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to this messianic reign. I am looking forward to when those enemies truly are put under and that there, we are understanding God's ways in how he's been explaining them. He chose his people, the, the Hebrew people. He, he chose them to be a vessel to show forth to the rest of the world. And as much as people have tried to squash them out of history, they haven't been able to. They haven't been able to. And why? Because his ways will go forth and continue. There are going to be many more verses that we'll be going through in the Bible. As you can see, these are not my words. We were very heavy in scripture today. We read straight from scripture. And some of these things were referenced back to the exact words of Jesus, uh, our Messiah. This kingdom was not a new concept. It didn't include the message at that point of the death, death and resurrection. That was the message of Isaiah 53 that they were not understanding. And that's the, um, the suffering servant. <clears throat> they had incorrectly interpreted many believing that these passages referred to the suffering of either Israel or of Isaiah himself. Jesus came to preach the kingdom God's people knew about. Since the kingdom was being preached straight from the writings and the prophets, they were believing he was coming to restore that kingdom now and that the Messianic age would begin right then. And it did in, in part, but we have yet we are still waiting and walking toward that fulfillment. And so how we live our lives right now and trying to understand as God is starting to pour out his revelation, that's what God does. In every move of God, he pours out revelation. And there's going to be swinging from one pendulum to the other, as we've seen when he's poured out his, his revelation in, in times past and moves past. I know that today's message hasn't answered all the questions um, we have. Because we are re-examining things right now. Remember last year when I began doing uh, some challenging messages and I, I had a sermon I titled, The Chaos of Finding Truth. Oftentimes when truth comes up, it brings with it a sense of discomfort, maybe bigger mess, because now we don't even know what we know. 
we start to question it all. Like, what do I even, what do I even know? Do I even know what the gospel message is? Do I understand? What is this kingdom of heaven? Do, what do I know about anything right now? <clears throat> we are on a journey, not just together in this room, but in our homes and our own individual walks. I've heard over the weeks, I've been listening, and I've heard things spoken, convictions, and prayers, and asking God for direction in these matters. I've heard floundering and more questions being raised. I hear uncertainty and even sometimes frustration at how this has been taught or not taught. What I also hear is a group of believers who desire truth, who are vested in searching the scriptures and being willing to live an unpopular life, if it is true and if it honors God, that life is a peculiar life, a life that counts here and in the future age. I hear people who want truth more than comfort. I hear a call in this hour to do the prophetic work of preparing the way of the Lord, just as John the Baptist did. And Elijah declaring, as John did, turn away from your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one Isaiah the prophet spoke about, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai and make his path straight. We are in a time of God revealing and making the path straight. And when I look up that word, um, straight, it's true, lawful, and upright. The understanding of his ways are, are coming into focus, and... May we help when these truths uh, are are coming out, that we would live in them and uh, teach them and spread the the true gospel message. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. Babe, do you have that picture? I don't know if you guys have seen the the Facebook challenge right now. It's uh, 10 years. I don't know what they're doing. They want 10 years of... Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I just this I saw this this morning and I thought it was pretty funny. So the ten year challenge is you're supposed to post a picture from ten years ago to what you look like now. And this one popped up here um, of the Jewish Jesus, what he definitely Jewish looking, right? Is, is what we would qualify. And then the Westernized Christian Jesus, two thousand year challenge is what we call that. So <laughs> if we are simply trying to read these verses in the gospel in Acts, in Romans, in Revelation, through westernized Christianity, um, that 90% of our foundational doctrines, our seminaries, their foundational doctrines are steeped in this replacement theology, then we have to hyper-spiritualize all of these uh, verses. We have to take them out of context. And we have to remove the Jewishness from them, just like... We've done that. It's, it's, you know, funny, but it's actually sad that uh, to remove the Jewishness of who Jesus is, this is, this is the picture that we have in our mind. And that's just a, an image. But, yeah. We've, and, and this goes for all of the Jewish ways. This goes for removing anything what we would consider Jewish. But if you guys recall as we've been doing all of these things, as we've taught on the feast, we have made it abundantly clear. The Lord says, these are my 
feasts, says Adonai. So I want you guys to think about that this is to our own demise. This has been to our own demise. That this has been a tactic, a true tactic and successful of the enemy to divide a house. To divide God's people. Jew and Gentile. But we are Abraham's seed. Tanya, if you could finish us out with Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Amen. Amen. I think next week we'll get more into what, um, like we've been discussing, the righteousness and actually what that looks like to qualify for this kingdom. If, God, if Jesus is letting us know you're not going to enter, then if it's not a salvation issue, what does this mean? Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs>